part two of that message series, differentiating between those two things. What's the good thing in Christianity? And what I hope is that this morning is a lens that you can view Christianity through that will be a bathwater and baby differentiator. That just this lens, uh, particularly for me now, has helped so much in differentiating what's the good within Christianity, who Christ is, what God being present in the world, the whole story of the scriptures brought in. I think there's a lens that's really helpful in this particular time and moment that we live in, if you do, in fact, live here in the United States, 2023. We're going to talk about dominant versus non-dominant. Dominant and non-dominant. And we're going to talk about dominant and non-dominant cultures. So if you're familiar, if you've uh, learned anything about power dynamics, that's going to play a lot into what we're talking about this morning. We're also going to talk about just kind of cultural, how cultures norm themselves. Uh, we're going to go through a little bit. The, the first thing I want to say is when we identify, when we talk about dominant cultures today, th this is the definition that we're going to be using. Dominant is the largest population or the group with the political, financial, or technological power beyond what is available to other groups. So uh, if you are in a group of people and a majority of that particular group of people favors, say, I don't know, the San Francisco 49ers to defeat the Philadelphia Eagles later today. Hypothetically, I don't know. I didn't grow up in California. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> that population group would be the dominant culture within that group. If you were in that group and you're like, I don't think I like the 49ers, they would turn on you so quick, emboldened by their numbers, because they know they make up the dominant group there. So they could tell you, go home. We don't want you here. And a lot of we you language gets used. Now, if you were in a group that was dominantly Philadelphia Eagle fans, and you were like, I really like the 49ers, and then they started rooting for the Eagles, like, hey, get out of here, you Philadelphia Eagles fans, they would look at the one of you with the 15 of them, they'd be like, no. There's no we don't leave, you leave. We make up the dominant group. Now, there's also experience that why I put the other part of that is sometimes the majority of the population just doesn't matter. If you hold political power, how many people serve in the, the House of Representatives, senators, or in the executive branch, president, vice president, all the other secretaries within the United States of America? A very small group. A very influential group. They make a lot of decisions about how things run. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, these folks that have incredible amounts of wealth, very few of them, very influential in how things are run. And so uh, I, I want to sit with this a little bit more as we kind of think about cultures and where and how they work. And so uh, we have some images. Because dominant and non-dominant groups uh, exist on kind of scales. It would be easy to say they're like, this group is dominant and this group is non-dominant, and that's all there is. But there's actually lots of variety. Let's say we were deciding, what are we going to eat for lunch today? We have to make a decision. And as we talked about all the different food options, we could get pizza. Let's say seven of us really want a pizza. 
Six people really wanted ramen because they're like, look at the weather. Ramen's the perfect meal for a day like today. We had five people with tacos, four people sandwiches, one person wants burgers, and two people want pho. And we were to have a conversation about how do you decide in this setting what to do? I mean, there's a number of different factors that would impact this, right? Like, a lot of you look at this, maybe more of the mathematician types, and you're like, pizza, done. What are you talking about? Did you not see that seven? It's the biggest number. We're going to go get pizza. Okay, yes. But if you add up all the numbers, the people that don't want pizza or prefer not to have pizza is actually the vast majority of individuals there. And they reflect lots of Let's also say, just for an example, that three of the people that want ramen and two of the people that want tacos are, have a dairy allergy. And that's the reason why they chose those. So going to pizza, in fact, wouldn't really work for them. That would be an interesting part of making the decision in both dominant and non-dominant culture. Most of you, the, the other one I want to talk about, going back from a couple weeks ago, I uh, think, people that want to glue puzzles and people that don't want to glue puzzles. <laughs> I'm manifesting this as a reality. Also, <laughs> if you weren't here from a couple weeks ago, I have strong opinions about gluing puzzles. I won't go into it, but you can talk to me later if you want to. I would love to talk to you about it. Hilariously, one person that was there on that Sunday was given an art piece puzzle that came with glue to glue at the end and frame it. And uh, when I was like, you never glue a puzzle, she was like, oh no, that's literally what I'm going home to do now. And she sent me the frame picture yesterday of her glued puzzle <laughs> hanging on the wall. All right. You came here to talk about glue puzzling and food options and dominant and non-dominant stuff, but I'm going to talk to you about the Bible for a second. <laughs> In the scriptures, if we were to go from the beginning, Genesis, all the way to Revelation, thinking through all these different books and all these different times, right? You have the history of the Israelite people, starting with Abraham, moving into growing with Joseph and his technicolor dream coat, which lands them in a non-famine area where they multiply, terrifies the Pharaoh, so they're enslaved. Moses sets these people free. They take a couple laps. The walls of Jericho come tumbling down. They step into a promised land. There's a group of people that eventually, they have all these prophets and all these, uh, the judges. If you're like the Bible's boring, you haven't read Judges. I spent a lot of time thinking about puzzle glue, and I also spent a lot of time thinking about how Samson decided to burn down a town. He caught foxes, tied their tails together, and then put a torch in their tails and set them loose on a land. I've thought about this so much. That's such a chaotic decision. Have you ever caught a fox? Me neither. Now I want to use them and mobilize their agility to burn a large swath of territory down. If I'm making a time decision, 100 foxes is too many. That's plenty. 
And if I tie their tails together, what's the plan there? They're not moving faster. They're probably working against each other because we're putting fire in between their tails. The entire time, I'm like, people are like, the Bible's boring. I'm like, no, the Bible keeps you up at night thinking about things about what was Samson doing? From there, we get to King David. We have King Solomon. And then we have this long period where out of this comes Jesus and what we read within Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus. In all of that time frame, if you were to say, what's the moment that this collection of people, this Israelite nation, is the most powerful? Probably King David, King Solomon. That would be around the time. And so I wanted to show you the map that this is Solomon's empire. See the Middle East there, present-day Palestine, Israel. Like, they were pretty dominant. That's a large swath of territory, yeah? And this is when they're dominant. Let's just zoom out a bit. Exact same time. You see Israel there in like the lime green? Look at how large the Egyptian empire was during that time. And then you also have the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and then the Syrians and the Phoenicians right there as well pretty large and dominant, many of them even larger than the high point of the Israelite nation. And then let's zoom out a little further. You're familiar with this, the globe, the whole world. Can you see King Solomon and David's empire there? Nope. The high point of the Israelite nation was still in a global standpoint, a non-dominant perspective. Here's why this is important. When we talk about the scriptures, when we talk about Christianity and how we're tied into this understanding of who God is, it is written from and comes, even at its high point, from a non-dominant lens. From the minority small group, either in numbers or technology or political might, a small group. I think that really matters when it comes to Christianity today and talking about what is Christianity and how does Christianity function. Is that something that started in 325 with Constantine and has a repeating cycles and powers? Is that the most dominant group, either through technology, military might, where population has, over time, taken on Christianity and interpreted it within its lens. And that fundamentally does something to our understanding of Christianity. Your Bibles, you have an English translation of the Bible. The non-dominant text has only been translated to you through a dominant lens. Primarily within our world today, white, straight men. Now, when I say white, straight men, that means lots of things. But zooming out, I'm not here to say that if you're in a dominant group, either through power or through might, you're necessarily bad. No, you're just in a dominant group. It's just a a statement. And if you're like, I don't think I am because I don't feel very powerful. That's fine. Just look at a picture of the people that are serving in Congress today. 
do you see a lot of you or a little of you? Take a picture and just look at who are the CEOs of the largest Fortune 500 companies. Do you see a lot of you or a little of you? If you see a lot of you, you're in the dominant group. And that's not a bad thing unless you start interpreting the world through a non-dominant lens. If you start interpreting the world as if I am actually an oppressed minority, actually the scariest and rarest thing to be right now is a white straight male, and my way of being is under attack, that becomes incredibly dangerous because you're taking and misunderstanding your position and role in the world as it is today and using it as something to be protected and held on to. And I would say, if you're taking the Christian story and putting it within that lens, it fundamentally changes it. It changes how we understand who God is, who we are, and what peaceful thriving in, within this world looks like. So, what I want to do is, is we have time for a discussion here at Cascade where we kind of talk and we process some of these. The idea is that on a Sunday morning, it's not just the information you're taking in, but how are you actually moving it like a meal through yourself? And so for some of you, it's helpful to talk. Some of you, it's helpful to listen. Some of you, it's helpful to ignore the talkers and not listen and do something else. That's great. Process it however you want. But here's a question that I'd like for us to think about and discuss. What could be the impact of turning non-dominant stories into dominant stories? And I, I want you to think of this example. I, I remember vividly when I first started working at a church. Uh, it's actually fun because I have Judy is here. Sorry to point you out, Judy. Judy is actually my co-pastor's mother. And Judy was a part of that church. Usually, I don't get to talk about people that were part of that church. Our, our church was almost entirely white, a smaller church. And we sang uh, the spiritual, All Fly Away. Do you know that one? Some glad morning, when this life is over, all fly away. Do you know where that song comes from? Slaves in the United States of America. And if you start thinking about the language of that song, it makes a lot of sense. Something fundamentally happens. I remember being in the room of all white folks singing this song and thinking, what do we need to fly away from? It's not that it makes the message wrong. I'm not talking right and wrong, but it fundamentally changes the nature when you take something from a non-dominant lens and you start using it within a dominant lens. And that's the conversation that I'm interested for you to discuss. What, what could be the impact? How would that happen? So how we do discussions here is we just look around the people that are there. It can be two people. It can be 15 people. You get to do your own thing. It's so great. The one thing we ask is that, that no one's left out. If you can kind of say your names and then uh, just make sure you, you give space for multiple people to share and talk. We're going to do it in a couple of minutes. So if you could look uh, around, kind of get into groups, and for a couple of minutes discuss what could be the impact of turning non-dominant stories into dominant ones. All right. If we can gather back together as a group. I am interested 
for any of the groups that discussed, if there's something that struck you as interesting or new or an idea that came out of you or someone else that you'd be interested in sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If you choose to take a non-dominant voice and center it, it can become, almost necessarily becomes more about comfort than it is about overcoming. It becomes more about, uh, and, and it's good to validate that one of the things that is hard is when we incorporate lots of voices, there can be a desire to discount your own personal experience because it's not as dot, dot, dot as everyone else's. And that's not the goal. It is to honor everyone's experience, but we understand everyone's experience within a spectrum. And maybe the thing isn't my comfort, but it is in fact justice for those who are facing incredible amounts of injustice. Yeah. Anyone else? Anything else that was shared? Could it be an, a preacher for a Sunday? That's on you now. You missed your opportunity. All right, here's what I want to do. Uh, the, the second part of this is I want to, to take those thoughts, whatever you had, uh, and I want you to carry them into this next part. Think through. We're going to do like an actual exercise. If you take the Bible written from a non-dominant lens and you put it within a dominant culture, what does that do? Now, within this, I'm using the United States of, of America is uh, a dominant force within the world today. By far, if you're unfamiliar, like more than double everyone else's military budget. We have one of the largest militaries in the world. Nuclear weapons, the thing that can destroy the planet we're living on, we have the most. That is a force within the world that creates a dominant energy. Also just our location, very peaceful borders with Mexico and Canada. I can't think of a more polite neighbor, to be honest. And then completely not surrounded by any kind of enemy or threat. So there's a safety and a dominance within that. So what I want to do is to take the Bible, the, the language of the scriptures, which again, always written from a non-dominant perspective. And as you saw on the map, always surrounded by folks that would love to have their territory and access to the water. And then I just pulled up top five verses from the Bible in the United States of America. And let's look at what could these verses mean when you take a, a non-dominant voice and you put it into a dominant lens. Let's look at number two. You're probably familiar with number two. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. What happens if you take that concept from a non-dominant lens, those without power, those at the whim of other people's either mob rule or political, financial, technological rule, and you pull it from that context and you put it into the dominant culture? It's exactly what you just said. It can be so much about comfort. It can be something that's so much about how do I continue to have this level of comfort, ease in the world? That that actually, again, put within the dominant lens, isn't just something that's good for me. That's God's plan. That's what God wants for me. And here's the thing I want you to think about and wrestle with. Is the problem with this being used for comfort by a dominant group 
Is the problem the Bible? The scriptures? No. You take this out of the hands of the dominant and you put it within the hands of the oppressed. Which, by the way, the context of Jeremiah 29, 11, I love to bring up. You notice that 29 number? That means we've been in Jeremiah for a while by the time we get to this point. Go read the first 28 of Jeremiah. It is not chicken soup for the Israelite soul. It's basically, you're about to be wiped out. You're about to be destroyed. 90% of you won't survive. And then right before Jeremiah 2011, it says, but for the tiny little, tiny portion of you that do survive, hey, guess what? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. No one would have heard the prophet Jeremiah and be like, oh, I just love it when he talks. <laughs> he speaks right to my soul. God does know the plans he has for me. Thank you, Jeremiah. No, that's not where it came from. That's not, and it's not that it can't mean words of comfort to you. But rather, you have to understand where your comfort fits within the larger spectrum of comfort in the world today. And furthermore, what we were just saying, say, and where is God in this? Where would Jesus be showing up in the midst of these ideas? And who would Jesus be delivering these words too. Let's look at number three within the top five. Philippians 4.13. New tattoo idea just dropped. Here we go. <laughs> I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, I just like sports. And a lot of athletes are like, I like that verse. <laughs> I'm going to get that tattooed on my bicep. Again, think about the, the context. This is, we're, we're looking at the New Testament. This is in Philippians. So writing letters to the Christians, people that are seeking to follow Jesus in Philippi. We already talked about how the Israelite nation was, even at the height of their powers, a small non-dominant group. Then I move it into everything that we have in the CE period, in the Israelite nation, the Jewish people are a very small majority, a minority, within the Israelite nation, or within the Roman Empire, excuse me. And Christians, those that are following Jesus, are a subset of the already small and marginalized group. I can do all things for those who are. Do you think that the idea of that is like, you can be president if you want to? You can start your own business. You can be an influencer if you want to. Get on the gram, build your brand, and make it happen. No! That's not the context of this at all. This is actually a voice of empowerment and a voice of hope for a marginalized and oppressed people group. You are facing untold amounts of pressure and persecution and difficulty in your life. And yet, where is the location of God? With you. What is God doing? Strengthening you. It's beautiful. The scriptures and what they say about who God is and who Christ showed up in the world is amazing. It's a baby worth preserving. 
taking that language to the marginalized and oppressed of our world and putting it within the dominant cultural power of the day is bathwater. And if you can change the social location of the gospel, if you can change the social and understand who God is with and how God is working and present in the world, it changes and exposes everything. Everything about the nature of scripture and Christianity and how it functions in our world today. Now, if you're like, all right, well, if I'm a part of the dominant group, so the Bible's not for me, the scriptures aren't for me, no, they are for you. But they have a different voice to you. You have to read yourself in the story differently. Jesus had lots to say to those with power. The rich young ruler. You also have characters within the story of Jesus like Pontius Pilate. You also have characters like tax collectors, Zacchaeus, or Matthew, who was a disciple. It's not that Jesus doesn't care and doesn't have anything to say to those that are powerful. There's a call to be one of the closest followers to those that have power within the system. The question is, what do you do with that power? And my favorite illustration of this is, in fact, Jesus. Within Christianity, the most powerful being to ever walk the planet was Jesus. God incarnate. The power of creation and the entire universe in human flesh walking on the planet. And what did Jesus do with that power? What did Jesus do with that power? Went to the marginalized on purpose. Just look at the roadmap of where Jesus went to the margins of the already marginalized group. The Israelites were already a marginalized group, and Jesus went out to the Samaritans and to the others that were being marginalized by that group and said, what? You belong. The story of the good Samaritan is to say, actually, this God, this movement of the universe is for you. Because to see further blessing on the already blessed does not result in the peaceful thriving of all people. It's not that it doesn't have a message for them, but it's to say there is work that needs to be done on the margins and on the front lines of oppression in our world today if we want to see God known and working and moving. If this is in fact good news, this is where the good news locates. And so when there are aspects of Christianity in the world today that seem abhorrent and difficult and stretching to you and like, this doesn't feel right. Yes, Christianity that is built primarily on merch and ticket sales is not the location of God that we see within the scriptures. Christianity that is about profit over people is not the nature of where we see God in the scriptures. When we're able to separate those things and say that the scriptures are the testament of the non-dominant group, even historically, we don't have these. They don't exist. They get banned and burned. But we actually do have the scriptures. And when we read them again through the non-dominant lens, the triumphalism and the hope that is there is good news for the oppressed, not good news for the oppressors. And what does it look like to carry that voice forward? A couple other ways uh, to to think about this and visualize this when it comes to dominant and non-dominant. 
most of our, our planet, water, and there's also quite a bit of earth. And when you look at like a, a representation of mostly earth and mostly water, where the water and earth meet, marshes and coastlines, it's an incredible beauty that does not make up a majority of the planet, but has so much to teach us. What can the water learn about being water by seeing the marshlands and the shorelines? What can earth learn about being earth by seeing the marshes and the coastlines? By reorienting the world into a thing that is not the dominant experience, there's something to be seen. Another way of visualizing it is the majority of a 24-hour period is light and dark. But the scriptures come to us from dusk. They come from sunrise and sunsets. And there's something beautiful and necessary to relocate towards those non-dominant representational periods in our life and our existence where we see and understand who God is and how God shows up in our world. Would you pray with me? God, may we locate you in the margins. God, in the non-dominant spaces to see the words and work of liberation and hope and peace and joy that you have there. God, not for the rich and the comfortable to become richer and more comfortable, but God, for those that are oppressed and marginalized to be set free, to be seen and held as fully human and fully holding your very image within their being. God, wherever we sit on the spectrum of dominant and non-dominant, God, may we know that your call comes to us as well. And we have work to do in this great, incredible human race and earth. God, that you are inviting us to be and participate here and now in liberation. That hope and peace and love may drive the way. God, may that be grounded within us and may we carry that forward. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.